0: The thing is, we have to open our eyes to see God at work. When it, At its worst point, God's grace is there. At its worst point, God's mercy is there. At the worst times in my life, if needed, God's forgiveness is there. God is at his best in man's worst condition. Oftentimes we wonder, where is he? Well, God's at work. And what we're going to do is look at the Passover, the week before his crucifixion. We're going to look at a couple of characters and things that were happening. We're going to see man at their worst, but yet God at his best. And I hope we can paint that picture for you. Because God brings out the worst in us in order that he might reveal his best for us. God doesn't call us a sinner just to be calling us a name. He wants us to realize we are what? Sinners. But he has a remedy for that sin. And we're willing to accept the remedy. His son, Jesus Christ. But God brings out the worst in order that he might do his best work in us. And sometimes that's hard for us. Because we will not identify with the work that God's doing in revealing our worstness. In order that he might bless us and show us his very best. And for some people, it's just like the world said. I don't care. And we're going to see that in scripture. Because some people can hear truth. Some people can see the marvelous works of our God. But they just don't care. And that's the reality of life. And that's why God has a heaven and a hell. Heaven is for those people who do care. And hell for those folks who just don't give. And I won't say it, but you know what it is. I want Why don't you look at a verse with me. Go to John chapter 10, 17 through 18. Because as this Passover week takes place, And we call it now, in a sense, Easter. This Passover time, sometimes we see Jesus as someone who is weak. No, he's not weak. He's just at his best. It's not that he doesn't have authority or strength. He's just at his best. And oftentimes when people sometimes are at their very best, we think they're showing forth their weakness. Because somebody don't cuss you out, you think they're weak. Because somebody don't fight you, they're considered scared or fearful. Because somebody won't do this or do that, we misinterpret that individual. And we think there's somebody with no authority, no strength, just a wimp. Just a sorry individual. No. That person may be demonstrating to you their restraint and their strength. In John 10, 17 through 18, he simply says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. And the first one, I lay down my life. Jesus is going to lay down his life. Even though a Caiaphas may have thought he was planning to take his life and he was going to deceive and use trickery in order to kill him. Didn't know he didn't really have to do any of that because Jesus was going to do what? Just lay down his life. Give up his life. And he states it. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me. So when, even when Paulus talks about he has the power to give him life or take life. Jesus understands you have no authority over me than what the Father has given unto you. And no one takes my life but I lay it down and then he says I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again sometime when we see Jesus not speaking as kind of that you're not going to say anything over these testimonies that have been given against you and when Pilate asked him you're not going to speak as though he has nothing to say to defend himself or no authority. But understand this. Jesus was never without authority. The issue was, do I use it or not? Do I use it or not? And sometimes people underestimate people with authority. Because People with authority can be gracious and kind and merciful. That's because they've chosen to show mercy and kindness and graciousness. And sometimes people take that as, oh, I'm getting over. I didn't trick them. I didn't deceive them. Or they're just weak. That's not the case with Christ. But I want you to understand... He has authority. He has authority to destroy a Caiaphas, the high priest. He has the authority to destroy a palace. He has the authority to destroy a crowd. He has the authority. But chose not to use it. And what we miss and understand today... The moment we sin, God has the authority to destroy us. And wipe away every memory of you as though you never existed. But he chooses not to. Not that he don't have the authority. He has the authority and the power and the strength to do it. But he chooses not to. In Ephesians 1.4 he says. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And that is something that has to constantly be on his mind. As he goes through this Passover. Because you can never deny that he's not God. And oftentimes we only see him as man. But he is also God, knowing the beginning and the end. And he knows all who will accept him. He knows all who will reject him. He knows all who will be saved. He knows all who will be thrown into the lake of fire. He knows all. Some people might say, well, why are we going through this? Because the one who don't know is you. But God knows. God knows. That's why He could say, He's chosen us in Him. Where? In Him. Where? Before the creation of the world. Down through the ages, and only a living God could do that. No, every human being that's going to be saved on planet Earth, He knows everyone from the very first child born to the very creation of Adam to the very end. God knows them before the world was ever made. That's an awesome God. That's an awesome God. God isn't waiting to see, was this one going to be saved or not? Or will will this one accept me or, or not? God's not waiting to see it. He already knows. The one who don't know is you. That's why it says that God's foundation stands sure because God knoweth those that are what? That are His. He knows them. And in Revelations 13a he says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beasts and all whose name have been written in the book of life belongs to, now catch this, the Lamb That was slain. This was not just something planned at Passover time. This was not something just planned when Jesus was born. This is not something that just came up as a great idea. Of how to deliver man from their sin. This was something that was started before the world was ever created. The very counsel of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, put this plan of salvation together before earth itself, before the world was ever created. And he says, all inhabitants of the earth will worship the And We'll go through that again as we go through the book of Revelations here in a few weeks. But he says, the lamb that was slain the lamb that was slain. Jesus knew what was going to have to happen to him. That he was the sacrificial lamb. He knew that he was going to have to die for you and for me. He knew that. And it says the sacrificial lamb. That was slain from the creation of the world. Not just when I stand before not just when they walked into the garden of Gethsemane to arrest me not when I'm just before Pilate not just when I get on the cross and I'm spread out no, I knew this was going to happen before the creation of the world that I was going to die for that which I created I was going to die for that which I gave life to I was going to give my life that they might have life. And he knew. Man at his worst. And God at his best. And we need to really see it. Go to Matthew 26, 47 through 50. Matthew 47, 50. twenty six forty seven chapter twenty six Picking up with me in verse forty seven. It says while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve arrived with his with him, arrived and with him was a large crowd, armed with sword and club, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greeting, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. We can never be responsible for how another person is going to treat us. But we are responsible of how we will treat what? That individual or other individuals. And Judas comes into the Garden of Gethsemane to betray Jesus. And over in Luke, the scripture says, And Jesus said to him, Do you betray me with a kiss? Do you betray me with a kiss? A kiss usually is showing a closeness. A a kiss usually shows an endearment. A kiss usually shows that you're caring or you love someone. And Jesus said, are you betraying me with a kiss? But listen to what Jesus calls him, friend, friend, friend. Go with me to Romans eight real quick. Keep keep that in mind. Romans eight, verse seven. Because who oh, I want you to recognize something is this, from God's standpoint. God is never our enemy. God is never our enemy. Listen to what it says in verse seven. The sinful mind is hostile to God. The sinful the sinful mind is what? you'll never find a scripture that says God's mind or his thinking is hostile towards who? Towards us. In reality, God never holds any man, any individual as his enemy. But we somehow hold God as our enemy. We hold God as our enemy. And therefore you hear God even saying to one who is betraying Him, Friend. In the Greek it can be said, Good friend. Good friend. How many people you know that would betray you, lie on you, cause harm to come to you, And you still call them. Hey. Boy, we'd have a whole lot of maturing, wouldn't we, if we could do that? Hey. And yet, he calls him friend. 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 And Judas is betraying him with a kiss. Man at his worst and God at his best when he stands before the Sanhedrin. Go to verses 62 through 67 in Matthew 26. Pick up with me. 62, 67. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Catch that. He remained silent. Not that he can't speak. Not that he doesn't have authority. Not that he could have silenced every one of those who were given testimony. But he remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he demands him under an oath, under that which he would hold sacred or dear, that he would not lie. And what he doesn't recognize is simply this, God cannot lie. And he says, Are you the son of God? Comes the question. Or. Tell us if you are the Christ. The son of God. Going down into verse 64. Yes it is as you say. That is important to catch. Yes it is as you say. Understand this about God. God never holds you really accountable until you have knowledge of it. Now, that doesn't mean you will be considered blameless because you choose to be ignorant. But you understand what Scripture said that God says He no longer acknowledges ignorance, He winks at ignorance. You choose to be ignorant because the Word is here, the Bible's here. You choose not to open it. You choose not to study it. You choose not to incorporate it into your life and to live it. And God said, I wink at ignorance now. Do you understand that there was a progression in the Bible? As God taught his people, as he taught them, he required more. Therefore, we can really understand what he says. To whom much is given, much is what? Required. Because there's that requirement as God taught his people. He required more of them. And as you read through the Bible, and as you study history, there was a time people didn't have the Bible. There was a time, yes, the word went through a storyteller, through a prophet. There was a time man just didn't have that knowledge of God other than what creation itself declared. But there's no excuse for man to be ignorant of God. I don't care if you study Hinduism, Muslim, Buddhist. If you put all the books down there together and allow the Holy Spirit to speak, that Bible will rise above the surface. And declares truth. And point to the one who can really save you, the Lord Jesus Christ. He took away their excuse from saying they would not know. They didn't know. Because in a sense now, they've heard it directly from him. Yes, I am the son of God. At that moment, man had a decision to make. At that very moment... Caiaphas had a decision to make. At that very moment, the elders, the scribes, all those who were there had a decision to make. And we make that same decision ourselves every day. The decision whether to believe God or to believe a lie. We make that same decision. We make that same decision to reject Him even after He showed us. Even after He has said unto us, I am the Son of God. I am the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the one. And He's really made it known to you. Yet, you reject Him. And understand this. The rejection comes in the same manner as Caiaphas and the scribes and the elders. The rejection comes because there's something you want your way. The rejection comes because there's something you want your way. The rejection comes because you don't want it to change. Change. You want your tradition. You want your religion. You want your position. You want, you want what you want. And you reject him. At that very moment, God could have ended it all. But God shows his restraint. And God is at his very best. Allowing man the freedom to say whatever he so desired to say. God is at his best. And sometimes you are at your very best. When you face people and you let them say whatever they want to say. Without a retaliation. You're at your very best. You're at your very best. When you don't allow your anger to rise up on the inside. And Latch out at people. You're at your very best. You're at your very best. When you don't tell people where you think they need to. You're at your very best. Why somebody else is in their worst state. You're in your very best. And you need to understand as we come on down into that verse 65 and 67. Listen to what he says. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemer. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him. With their fists over. And others slapped him. And said prophesy to us Christ. Who hit you? Another text tells us They blindfolded him. And that they would hit him. And spit on him. And they would say who did it? Who did it? Prophesy now. You're so great. prophet!" But you know something? What they never thought about is this. They're going to stand before him. And he's going to say. Remember when you hit me? (laughs) Remember when you spit on me? (laughs) Remember when you said this about me? But yet at this moment, in order to carry out the will of God, he's at his very best in submitting to the will of God for the need of man. That he might die upon a cross and shed his blood for us. He's at his very best. Now, I want you to put this in scripture with Jesus. Because Luke 22, it talks about it. You have to die daily. You have to pick up your own cross and die daily. And that cross always signifies what? Death. Death. But I want you to go a step further with me here with the Lord. It says, boy, deny yourself. He's not asking you to do anything that he himself hasn't done. Because at that very moment, you spitting and you hitting and you blaspheming and you're doing it. If you had the authority and the power to act, what would you have done? I like my old Jedi movie. Because boy, when he pulled that thing, everything goes to flying. The whole issue is that here is God denying himself the right or the privilege of using his power to destroy those that are against him at that moment. God is at his best. God is at his best. And even denying himself. And understand this you're at your very best when you deny yourself. You're at your very best when you remember that you are to die to yourself and you are to bear your cross. You're at your very best. And God says, look at my child. Look at my saint. Look at my Christian. They're at their very best. When you deny yourself. Because when you deny yourself. You're going to walk perfectly in the will of God. When you deny yourself. You're going to follow the commands of God. When you deny yourself, you're going to carry out the will of God. When you deny yourself, you're going to activate the plan of God in your life. And you will be at your very best. And Jesus is at his best because he's fulfilling the plan of God for salvation. Man at his worst. And God at his best. When we look at Peter. And Peter can be you or I. And we need to understand that God understood this Peter. And God really understands you. And that little phrase again. God knoweth my heart. Oh that is, a, that is so true. Sad part about it is that you and I don't know our hearts. We think we know our hearts. And that's why we ask the Lord to reveal to us what is in our hearts. If there be something hidden in our heart, we ask God to bring it to the surface. Because in reality, we don't really know our hearts. We know our wants, but our wants may not be our hearts. We know our wants. So you pick up in Luke 22, uh, look at verse 54 through 62 with me. 54 through 62. He says, let me get there. Then seizing him, they led him away. into the house of the high priest. Now, look where Peter's following from, from afar. Peter followed at a distance. How many of you are walking at a distance from the Lord? You really want to know about him, but you don't want to be close to him. You want his favor, but you don't want to be right there arm in arm with him. You don't want people to identify you as a Jesus freak. You don't want people to recognize you that you're in love with this Jesus and his way of life. So you keep a distance. You kind of stay back. Because you don't want the world to identify you. As someone who is in love with Christ. Because if you're in love with Christ and not doing the things that Christ has commanded you to do, the your best friends will call you a what? A hypocrite. <laughs> See, sinners know what Christians ought to be doing. It's the Christian oftentimes that don't know what they ought to be doing. Hey. And it says Peter is following from a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him and, and seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This is the man. This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman... I don't know you. Woman, what are you smoking? Woman, what you high on? Woman, what have you been drinking? See? No. Mistaken identity here. I wasn't with Jesus. I've never been with Jesus. You're talking about somebody that looked like me. See? And he says, not me. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. What's this sign? Y'all know this sign? The eyes of Jesus and the eyes of Peter caught each other. And Jesus never had to say, you traitor! You're disloyal! Jesus never said a word. How many of you have been around mom or dad or somebody you know, the only thing it took was eye contact? (laughs) Didn't have to say anything. Just eye contact. And that's all Jesus had to do with Peter, was eye contact. And because of the eye contact and the realization of what he did, it says Peter went out and wept bitterly. God at his best is when he's not reminding you of your sin. God at his best is when he's telling you when you hurt him. God at his best is when you betrayed him. And he's not bringing it up to you. God at his very best. Yeah, is when he's not responding in a sense. Or reacting to your sin. But helping you through it. God is at his best. Peter's at his worst. God's at his best. The high priest kind at his worst. Lying, deceiving. Jesus at his best not saying a thing. We often forget, as scripture says, if God before me, who can be against me? God is at his best. Last point. Man at his worst, but yet God at his best before Pilate. Pallet plays that role that a lot of us try to play. We want to be in the middle ground. We want to please everybody. We want to please the world. We want to please God. We want to please mom and daddy and aunts and friends and uncles. Uh, grandpa. We want to please everybody. Let me share something. You. you can't do it. You can't do it. See, the most important person that you ought to please is God. Is God. If you're not pleasing God, you're going to find yourself a very unhappy person. Because what you're trying to do is please this one and please these folks and please this person over here and please that over here. And guess what? Usually the people you're trying to please don't care about you. And the people who care about you, you'll find yourself hurting them. Hurting them and pushing them away. And the person that you don't care about pleasing is the person you usually got to go to and say, Will you help me? Will you help me? But you don't care about pleasing them. Because you're so busy about trying to please everybody else. And that's where Pilate is stuck. Even his wife had a dream and sent the message to him and told him, Don't get involved with this innocent man. so he already knew that this man was what? Innocent. Innocent. But he's caught in between doing what the Sanhedrin wanted him to do, to do what the high priest wanted him to do, to do with those who were against Jesus what they wanted him to do. Even to a point that they said, boy, if you recognize him, you're not a friend of Caesar's. Why? Because Caesar is the only king we know. Caesar is the only authority we know. And if you say Jesus is a king, then you're against Caesar. And guess what? We're going to go tell Caesar. And Pilate says, I'll wash my hand of this. I'll give him to you. You do whatever you want to do with him. Knowing the Sanhedrin had no authority to take life. So it still had to come through Pilate. In order to take his life. We're right there in Luke. Go to 23. 1 and 2. It says. Then the whole assembly. Rose. And led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him. Saying. Now listen to what they're saying. We have found this man. Subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ a king. Remember somewhere in scripture where Jesus says and they brought this coin to him and he asked this question. Whose picture is on there? Caesar's. And he just simply says to them, render to Caesar what is who? Caesar's. But unto God, what is what? God's. And here's somebody now lying again. Hey, he won't pay taxes to Caesar. He won't honor Caesar. He won't give to Caesar. And he's trying to undermine the authority of Israel or our nation. He's trying to destroy the religion of our nation. The philosophy of our nation. He's trying to undermine it. And it says, Pilate asked him, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now listen to what he says. Yes. Didn't deny it. Yes. Yes. It is as you say. But here again now, God at his very best. Because you hear Jesus say, I'm also the king of Caesar. Pilate, you may not know it, but I'm also your king, but restrains himself. For he knows he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Pick up a little point in this. When you know who you are, you don't have to brag about who you are. When you hold a position and you hold title and you hold authority, you don't have to brag about it. And he was asked, are you the king of the Jews? Yes! He didn't ask him the next question. Are you king of all the world? It would have been what? Yes. Are you the king of the universe? Yes. Are you the king over all? Yes. And what we need to see. A mighty God. Submitting. To the worst of men. If Christ can submit. To the governor of that day. Knowing he was yet the one who created. The man who is asking him the question. When he tells us to submit to the authorities that are over us. He's giving us the example of it. That here is the God incarnate submitting to the governor of that area. But yet he will not lie. For when he asked him, are you a king? And I guess Pilate said, the man crazy. The man smoking something. The man on some kind of grass weed. uh, The man been drunk. Something something wrong with the man. Too much medicine. Something wrong with him. Because see, I really know who the king of... Judea, is yes. of Jerusalem, of Israel. See? I know that. Why? As Romans, we appoint him. And here's that man saying he's what? King of the Jews. And God is at his very best. Denying himself, but yet not denying himself. At his very best. Go to John 18, 33 with me. John 18. We're we'll way to close out here. St. John. Because what we see in these areas of scripture is man at his worst in how he treats God. How many of you heard about this young lady who decapitated or removed the head of her baby. And a young boy who was going to school who usually stops in or whatever, some kind of relation, found the head sitting on the counter. And he's the one who reported it and called it in. Whatever you think the worst in our time that man has done, Take a good look at Jesus and what they've done to him. God brings out the worst that he can bring out the best. And God wants us to see our sin. God wants us to see how bad we really are. Some of you' have heard me tell this story. Before I was in the military, I would drink. I would get drunk. That's years ago. But one night I got so drunk, and when I woke up with my head in the toilet, I said, "No more." No more." Didn't know how I got there. Only thing I knew, I was down on my knees, head down here, no more. I'm at my worst, but God was at his best in redeeming Gus Brown. 1833. He says. Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? I want you to get a good picture of what Pilate did. He separated him and Jesus from what? From, from, From the crowd, from everybody else, from the Sanhedrin. He kind of said, hey, come on, we're going to have us a private chat. And he asked him, are you really the king of the Jews? Are you really? And he goes on a little further. Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Now, now Jesus wants a clarification. Are you asking for yourself? Or are you asking because that's what you heard the Sanhedrin tell you? That's what I said. And Jesus wanted to know, do you really want to know this for yourself? Hold that point for a moment. You can hear mama and daddy talk about Jesus. You can hear aunts, uncles, grandpas, friends, and everybody else talk about Jesus. But until you want to know Jesus for your. It don't matter. <laughs> because you got to come to a place in life. And this is what's so hard about us as parents. That we want our kids very quickly. We'll even say, well they accepted the Lord at four years old. They accepted the Lord at six years old. They accepted the Lord at nine, ten years old. Well they did something. But oftentimes without very much what? understanding inside. And I praise God that that happens. Because somehow the Holy Spirit is working. Even in the sense that they are being obedient to the parent that they're following what the parent is asking of them and then even pray with the parent. But at some point in life you got a warning for yourself. Not because grandma wanted, grandpa wanted, mom, dad want it, the elder wanted, the preacher wanted. You gotta want him for yourself. Yes. Period. Yes. And that's why he asks. Are you asking for yourself? Because at some point you gotta really ask the Lord into your heart for yourself. Not because you're led by mama, daddy, or pastor. You've got to really seek and desire Jesus for yourself. And he says, do you want to know? Do you want to know? And he says, in 35, am I a Jew, Pilate replied? So right there, Paul is saying, "It don't matter to me what you are. I'm not a Jew. You said you were what? King of the Jews." And Paul said, "Am I a Jew?" Paul replied, "It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. These are the ones. What is it you have done?" And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest at the Jews by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king, then? said Pilate. And Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Now listen to this. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And listen to Pilate. What is truth? What is truth? Jesus... And scripture says he could have called ten legions. Jesus is in front of a person of authority, but the person of authority has no idea of the authority and the power that he stands before. That is in Jesus. And oftentimes, you and I forget the authority and power that we stand before in the person of Jesus. And the reason we forgive it, the reason we are laxed on it, the reason that we don't give it much help, because God at that moment is at his very best in being merciful and gracious to you and to me. Amen. Because at that very moment God could have called the angels of heaven for he is the king of another kingdom. He is the king of a powerful kingdom. And he could have destroyed instantly. Yet he's at his very best by submitting and allowing that which He created to be at His worst in His presence. Understand that when we're at our worst, God is usually at His best, working on our behalf, performing what we can't see doing what we can't understand. But he's doing it for us out of his love. And he says for each one of us, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Again, I want to say to you, when you deny yourself, when I deny myself, We're at our very best. Where do we learn it from? From Jesus. From Jesus. Next week, we're going to look at him again. At his very best. On his way to Calvary. God at his very best. Redeeming the world. God at his very best. Saving the world. God at his very best. Forgiving the world. God at his very best. You need to see God at work on your behalf. And he's performing his very best for your benefit. For your benefit. For my benefit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you.